0: week five Leviticus 10 through numbers six we are slowly trucking through the Old Testament and uh, you know a couple the past couple weeks I can't remember how long it's been we announced about the podcast at linworthbaptist.org email address So if you've got questions you're more than welcome to send those in we'd love to hear from you which is interesting because the only people really to reach out are people that are trying to become our sponsors after the uh, Linworth Bookstall Rev. Hmm. Bren's Pizza.
1: We had it for lunch today. It was, a, it was amazing.
0: And then, well, this one's not an official sponsor, but Jim Ringer's just upset that he's not our sponsor. So I think I think this is going to be turned into a real side hustle for both of us.
1: We might have to have Sue Petkey's Tortilla Soup be our yeah, sponsor next our, week.
0: Yeah, what else could be our sponsor in our <laughs> church right now that would actually be uh, that would be helpful right now? Yeah, well just think of like other really good My Mama's Chili. There you go. That's another spo- that's one of our sponsors for this week. <laughs> G- Gil Miller, Toasted Grilled Cheese Croutons. Oh
1: my. It's amazing.
0: It's just we got we got it all. Uh okay. So Leviticus obviously is a pretty daunting book. We kind of talked about that in the last last week's episode because it's getting pretty technical about some descriptions. You know, last week we saw m- the continuation of the law that was given at Sinai. And it's kind of honing in mostly on uh, the tabernacle at this point. And uh, there's even the instruction, beginning instruction about the priesthood and the tabernacle is kind of having this callback to the garden of Eden in in a way of God is giving them uh, a way for him to dwell amongst them. Like we saw in Genesis three, that he was walking in the cool of the day. And uh, we also saw that in Exodus 4, God's referring to Israel as his firstborn son. And, you know, despite being a son, the apple clearly has fallen far from the tree. Israel's not acting in some ways the way that God has commanded them to do. So Israel's—we're seeing some of the early signs of some disobedience, especially as we saw the the golden calf incident. But this week, as we finish Leviticus and get into the book of Numbers— uh, we're learn we're gonna learn more about the laws that's going on in Israel as well as some narrative that happens uh, in the book but it's uh, some of the laws kind of including day of atonement uh, festivals marriage and family and different cleansings uh and, and things like that anything else that you you feel that Leviticus contributes or no
1: I think it's just kind of big picture reminder that We're continuing that theme of, you know, blessing, relationship of blessing. So if you go back to the table of contents of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it's going to be generations or descendants. That's Genesis. Going to live in relationship of blessing. That really becomes Exodus and Leviticus. Exodus, like how are the people brought out of slavery? Leviticus, what's the sort of the ceremonial aspect of how sinful people can live in relationship with a holy God. And so that's, I think it's important to kind of keep that big picture um, piece in place, that this is this is the the ongoing development of that promise to Abraham.
0: Yeah. And for people that might be discouraged or even daunted, you know, reading Leviticus for the first time, I would like to try to level the playing field in some ways just to Remind them that they're not alone. I mean, in your experience, was it over your head first time reading oh, yeah. through Leviticus? Absolutely,
1: and there's still parts of it that I'm like, I don't totally <laughs> understand what's wrong with the winged bat, or yeah. you know, whatever. Or this it is. particular hair follicle. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: Haven't quite, haven't quite reached that. Yeah. Level of uh, right. explanation. Right, but
1: it is, it is kind of the graveyard of through the Bible in a year. It totally reading, is. You know, and if you get through there, then it's like. Chronicles becomes the next graveyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, There's different, you, different checkpoints along the way. Yeah, but it actually is pretty amazing. <clears throat> There's actually some incredible stuff that hopefully we'll be able to touch on here that really do contribute to the big picture yeah. of, of you know, God's work to have a relationship with, yeah. His, with people.
0: Yeah, it, it, I, was, I was trying to think of an illustration of what's it like. It, it, it's almost like. If the New Testament and New Covenant, you know, time of Jesus and beyond is, you know, one movie or one act, this part right now we're seeing is the first half that helps us, helps enhance that second viewing. Totally, totally. And it's just challenging because right now we don't really see how it's going to unravel all the ways. And sometimes... You, like we won't even really see it fully, even the first time we read through it, or even the second. You know, I feel like each time I read through Leviticus, I'm slowly picking up pieces that uh, connect and paint, help help paint the bigger picture. So, speaking of big picture, you know, we've we've kind of talked about, uh, you know, we had the table of contents that we mentioned in Genesis 12. We've also talked about how there's two kind of twin themes that we see all throughout Scripture about uh, the lineage of God's people and God's place the dwelling place of God and and we you know we, we've kind of talked about uh, this last episode and, and this kind of uh, doesn't have any explicit continuation that we can look to here as it has previously when we saw the descendants of uh, Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob for example uh, but you know God's people were seeing this is God's people aren't just going to be merely descendants, but they're going to be obedient to descendants to the law that that is being given. And in terms of God's place, you know, we're seeing the instruction of the tabernacle. You know, we've kind of seen it appear in different places. It was in the Garden of Eden and uh, Noah in the burning bush and then on Mount Sinai. And now it's the instruction that God's presence is going to be uh, in the tabernacle. So that's just a very brief uh recapturing of the themes that we've been looking throughout but instead I actually kind of wanted I wanted to spend because of kind of the obscurity that Leviticus uh, appears to be to modern readers today I wanted to spend most of the time thinking about its importance and relevance and what's it got to do with today what w- even how does this apply to a 21st century Bible reader uh, a Christian who is reading about the Bible what what can they draw uh, away from the winged bat, the, the yeah. hair follicle. There's some obscure, uh, seemingly obscure, rather, uh, rules and regulations. So I wrote some thoughts down, and you're welcome to tag on anything that you'd want to add uh, to each point, or if I'm missing some, feel free to... Uh, or Rebuke you? Or just if I'm just wrong. <laughs> yeah, just straight up, just, uh, just tell me I'm wrong. So... The first thing that I thought of as I read through, uh, I was convicted of it as I was reading through Leviticus this time through, is that every aspect of our lives has an implication for holiness, personal mm-hmm. holiness. that That doesn't necessarily mean that that's our, not to be confused with our our right standing with God. We saw in Genesis uh, that uh, Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it's not based upon. Uh, Abraham's not saved by uh the strength of his faith. It's he's saved by the strength of his Savior in in, in God giving that to him through faith. And in Leviticus, especially in like nineteen, we see, You shall be holy, uh, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that's really what this is largely about, is there's kind of this command to be holy, set apart and distinct from the world outside, um than than everywhere then yeah, you're to be distinct from from the outside world, and that's what this it looks like to be God's people, receiving that blessing in that covenantal relationship. Anything you'd add there about personal holiness?
1: Yeah, I think there. Well, two things. You know, it relates to how do we understand like all these clean and unclean laws? Yeah. in Leviticus. Um, you know, there's as you read this this week. You know, there's going to be parts of this where you're like it just feels bizarre and weird and whatever. And people have tried to kind of say, well, you know, God was encouraging or requiring a diet that would be more healthy for his people or, you know, whatever reasons. Um, Sounds like it, a horrible diet. Well, yeah. I mean, it's
0: not vegan, but yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, it's too close to home. She's, she's listening to this. <laughs> Kier, I'm, so, I'm just so embarrassed. No. I'm so sorry.
1: Kier, we're going to have steak sometime. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but the how those laws, they really, I think, just they function in a very practical way to be a reminder for God's people that you are to be separate. You are to be distinct. Not that these things are inherently evil or wrong, but mm-hmm. just... A a physical reminder, like a visible reminder yeah. in their life of like, oh, we're different, you know, in in these ways, mm-hmm. like not that these things are necessarily all moral issues here. But some of this is just a, a reminder that because we are God's people, we're different. So there's those clean and unclean laws, which I think are really getting at that of mm-hmm. a, a, a kind of a physical reminder of. The distinctiveness of being God's people, but then, when in in Leviticus nineteen, when it talks about when the Lord says, "I'm holy," and that's why you need to be holy, it gets very practical. Then the rest of that chapter uh, and talks about loving your neighbor. Yeah, which is actually when Jesus says, "You know, love your neighbor as yourself." That's actually not a new command. That's not a New Testament command only that has roots in Leviticus mm-hmm. the book of Le- Leviticus and then if you read what it looks like to love your neighbor in chapter 19 it's extremely practical mm-hmm. don't steal from them yeah you know don't don't hate them don't mm-hmm. don't you know whatever so the holiness of the lord and practical living is very connected in Leviticus mm-hmm. um and some of it is again um physical reminders for them of who they are but some of it is very practical in terms of to be holy to the lord is to love your fellow israelite yep. and the way you lo- love your fellow israelite is not just to say you love them but to treat them in these ways yep. so that reflects you know god's holiness in how we live yeah. which has huge relevance for our life
0: that is that is really interesting too because on one hand it is a covenantal law that's given to the people of israel but they're it, it's so fascinating how god kind of has this constant reminder as he's giving it that this is it's to be done and obeyed winsomely towards the outside world there's going to be one law for the sojourner yeah. and for the israelite totally. you yeah. know and so there's a, there's a, a lot of implication here of not thinking i, I mean even as we read through the Bible, uh, typically in 21st century American lens, it's easy for us to think individualistically, Mm -hmm. not let alone not our neighbor, let alone not corporate nature of our church, for example. So like Leviticus 10, you get uh, a very interesting and unique uh, uh, reverence of God's holiness because of uh, people's disobedience with Nadab and Abihu, essentially. and, and, And what's interesting is it doesn't, speak too much into what happened it says that uh, these were the sons of Aaron that uh, offer unauthorized fire and and although we we don't have to hash all that out basically they are worshiping God in a way that God did not approve of and they end up dying because of that
1: yeah and Uh, I think what's happening there is because the chapter before Aaron offers this sacrifice and fire comes down from the Lord. And it's basically a demonstration of his glory and like his acceptance. And so then his sons are like, sweet, we want some of that glory too. I mean, I think that's really the, the point of what's going on there. And so they're like, whatever this unauthorized fire is, it's like, we want to, we want some of that glory. And that's not treating God holy. Yeah. Like that. And, and obviously the, the, their death is the, evidence of that. And the Lord says, you know, I, I will be treated holy. Yeah. You
0: know, and it's just, it's because, and on one hand, as you're, as we're reading through this, we're, we're reminded of compared to some of the unknown gods that didn't have a written law revealed of how they liked to be worshipped, there is a mercy that God continues to show us as he's revealing written instruction. He, this is how you shall worship me. It's not up to our own devices to think to ourselves, "Uh, this is what I think God would like. You know, I think it's not like this is a Christmas gift that we're giving him. This uh, This is something that he is spelling out for Israel. And obviously, as we continue to flesh out the Bible, we believe to be sufficient and authoritative for all things yep. in our life. So there's a lot of reflections there as, as hopefully as people read through, they think through individual and corporate holiness. Okay, moving on. Another, a, a second application to today, uh, or to readers today rather, is we get an idea of the surrounding world around Israel at that time. So, for example, y- you we don't have to talk too, too long about this, but just to mention... We're talking about holiness and about being set apart and distinct. Well, if God is trying to set them apart, they're being set apart from somebody else that's behaving in a certain way. So, you know, it's interesting when you when you look at uh, Leviticus 20, I think as you're looking at um, Leviticus 20, you're seeing you shall not be like the nations around you and sacrifice your children. So you kind of begin to realize this is not a morally neutral territory that they're entering. It's not as if this is uh, the same is true about sexual immorality. You know, this is an area that people are sleeping with whomever they want, whatever animal that they want.
1: Which is crazy because you think about our day and how sexually deviant and broken our society is. But then you realize This is nothing new. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy because, like, like you said, the reason why these laws of about sexual deviancy and immorality are in here, it's because it's happening. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we're in this new unprecedented time of sinfulness. Which I mean, we are in a very mm -hmm. sexually broken society, but it has roots in. I mean human nature will will go this
0: way. And uh, you better believe that when God was laying down uh the the law of <laughs> uh, uh, of sexual morality that the outside world looked in on them thinking this is insanely conservative. This yeah. is so restrictive and you're not Limiting. being who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um so we see, you know, and, and again, I- even there's some um, Uh, uh, it's not just the sexual culture that we see around them. There's general moral culture, sacrificing children up to false gods uh, and other areas as well. Okay. A third I thought of is we see the wages of our sin, the cost of our sin. Honestly, it's actually very similar to what you talked about this past week in your sermon, Hmm. but I'm just thinking on a practical level, how cost, like physically costly it would have been for someone to commit a sin in Israel's time. Like, you know, if you disobeyed God's law in a certain area, you had to go back to the temple or the synagogue to go and make a sacrifice Mm -hmm. to, to, to basically seek God's forgiveness for those areas. Uh, and so we we see it's very costly. What were you going to say? Well, I think
1: just, just also the, the reminder of like, you're, you're seeing that animal die and they're, blood being shed and it's like a again it's a a reminder of the costliness of sin but in it's also a picture of god's grace uh, because there he has um, you know created this this means this way of people being able to be penitent and repentant and trust in his mercy. And I I think there's a question at the end that we're going to try to address that came in from, from somebody. But uh, again, I think just that the regular rehearsal of that is a reminder of those, those two realities of costliness of sin, holiness of God, also grace and mercy of God. But this, this longing or this looking forward to a day where that doesn't have to always be the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great and we'll we'll get more into uh, that in a in a little bit particularly regarding the the day of atonement. Uh one last area that I thought of, a fourth area is that you know, one application especially for someone maybe who's read a, a gospel in the New Testament or has read through the New Testament in its entirety or even to some degree, you know, this uh this this book really helps us inform our understanding of the ministry of Jesus. And the people that he interacts with, Mm. you know, so when you're reading through Matthew and Matthew uh, mentions that Jesus is touching a leper. There is an understanding that someone familiar with scripture has that technically Jesus is supposed to be unclean now because Mm. of this. But instead we see the opposite. The leper actually grows physically clean. So there's some context even there that helps uh, paint the bigger story uh, there. Um, and just a second, I want to ask uh, you about day of atonement in Leviticus 16, anything else, any other applications you think of about the book, just as people are reading it?
1: Uh, I don't, I mean, we've talked about a good number of applications, but I think another thing to just sort of heads up to be thinking about is in chapter 23, uh, mm-hmm. and following you get the, the feast cycles. So again, it mm-hmm. kind of relates to, as you're reading the new Testament and you're reading like, okay, now it's this feast and it's the Passover feast. And so I don't think this is like you read this once and you're like, oh, I understand what all of those feasts are and what they are doing and the significance. But it does sort of lay the foundation of this is the, the religious, sociological, cultural paradigm that the, you know even Jesus himself is 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 living in this is the life of so these feasts and they were a very central part and those are kind of introduced here and um, you mentioned this in the in that feast cycle or, or those those feasts is this day of atonement um and it this is the the one time so sacrificial system people are you know doing that regularly but this is the one time that the priest sort of does this for the entire nation um and so uh you know bringing in the the bull to sacrifice and laying their hands on the goat i mean you can read about it um but it it's it's very uh, uh symbolic or pointing forward to what Jesus is going to come to do and and, and we see the fulfillment of that but we also see the limitations of the day of atonement um, because of you know the repetitive nature of it and um, yeah only one person being able to to kind of go in there but even that person needing to make sacrifice for his own sin before he makes sacrifice for the sins of the people so in a sense Jesus is fulfilling that obviously he's also very different from uh, what's going on there but that's a central piece of Leviticus, also. So, just a heads up.
0: Yeah. And that's crazy because we have, obviously, even if you go to Linworth, you know, we preached about the cross, you know, in many ways, the Day of Atonement version in the New Testament. Yeah. But if you're reading through this for the first time without any familiarity with the gospel or who Jesus is, this is the first time there is really this introduction to the idea of the forgiveness of sins, mm. the taking away of sins, mm. albeit incomplete or maybe right. uh, imperfect at this point. It's a huge deal, uh, and in many ways is one of the highlighting chapters of all the first five books of the Bible. Yep. Um, so Which
1: leads very well into a question.
0: Whoa, did you just hear that? <laughs> you didn't. I I, uh, I had to make a you thought you had a Mac, ding. Well, Max Hunter made like another. Uh, he made another uh, sound bite that'll transition this into the question section oh, nice. of the podcast.
1: Oh, So we're waiting on that now. No, no, no. Okay. I, I had to edit it later. Okay, gotcha. So you gotcha. You, you'll, you might not ever hear it. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> well, this. I mean, are we saying the name?
0: It's up to you. I think he's probably fine with it. Because remember, he had an interest. Remember, he read about. Yeah, this Leviticus? is part of his baptismal
1: testimony. So this is Nathan Facet. Uh, I think a, is he a senior?
0: He's a man in Singapore. No, I'm just kidding. He's a senior in high school. Oh, right? there you go. Maybe a junior. I don't know.
1: Um you might remember from his baptismal testimony a couple months ago that he he talked about picking Re- up the Bible and reading Leviticus. Reading, it, reading Leviticus. But um anyways, here's his question. Great question. Hey church family. That's me and you and every everyone else here. Yep. I have one. I have a question about salvation for people who lived before Christ. Even though they knew of the one to come, how could they inherit salvation or be saved while Jesus had not yet died and resurrected and while they were sacrificing animal offerings that couldn't fully cleanse them from sin, which Hebrews says, right? Yep. So I'll let you uh, address that and then and chime in. And
0: we'll answer it next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm just kidding. No, it's a it's a it's a great question. I mean, there is. I think the first thing that we'd want to say is that there's definitely some there. There's definitely some mystery in that we d- we can't see what was going on within the hearts and the minds of their understanding of how salvation would come through. So in Genesis three, you know, we've seen that there is going to be a death blow eventually to sin and Satan, uh, and there is kind of this. Uh, this faith of the coming Messiah that will come and, and, uh, a- and take care of, of the sin problem. So in many ways, uh, one thing to keep in mind is that as we look through the, the forgiveness of sins in Leviticus 16, it's important to be reminded that God counted Abraham as righteous by just believing in him because of his faith in God even before the law was ever given. Mm-hmm. So it was never designed in the first place. So it's not as if we're living in two different eras where, one, they were saved by animal sacrifices, and the second, where we live today, we're saved by Jesus. Instead, it has always been by faith. And the different time periods that we live throughout, we just have m- less or more clarity about who that Messiah is. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, in many ways this was an this was an obedience uh, to God not being saved by their obedience but obedience to God that God would be the one that would take care of their sins right now symbolically through uh, the shedding of blood uh, through the animals but uh, more broadly speaking through their faith in the in God so like this is a redeemer
1: yeah so this was like a opportunity for them to express their repentance to own and recognize their sin which is obviously a part of saving faith you have to know that you need to be saved Mm -hmm. so this offering of an animal sacrifice you wouldn't do it unless you felt like you needed some Mm -hmm. you know forgiveness so it's an opportunity to offer or to recognize sin and be penitent or uh, repentant uh, and then also to seek the mercy of God. So they're not looking at this animal, thinking this is my savior. This is my savior. They're saying, "I'm I'm seeking the mercy of God." Um, and of course, God in His eternality is knows that the sacrifice of Christ is coming. Mm-hmm. And w- you know, we look at time in a linear fashion, and so, but but God's looking at. Sort of all of eternity from an eternal present, and so, in his perspective, he knows mm-hmm. what the final sacrifice mm-hmm. will be. So I think you you make a good point of the it is the the trust or the faith in the mercy and grace of God and in what He's going to do to provide final uh, forgiveness for sin.
0: Yeah. So. Hopefully that answered your question. Uh, Obviously we could talk more um, and answer more stuff. Brent, how about you just uh, pray for our church family and anyone listening to this as they read through uh, second half of Leviticus and first beginning chapters of Numbers.
1: Okay. Father, thanks for uh, this portion of your word, and thank you for these uh, brothers and sisters who are um, seeking to know you more through uh, reading your word in this way, and we pray that you would give all of us encouragement and strength and perseverance to to keep pursuing you and knowing you and loving you in this way, and uh, guard us from discouragement, guard us from uh, giving up or feeling like oh, I'm behind or whatever, but help us to just keep getting to know you and come coming to love you and to love others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen thanks man thank you trent no problem signing off until next time